are going to be uh, looking at uh, the prayer life of Christ this morning, and then tonight I'll be preaching on giving gifts. So these are kind of one-off sermons. I did uh, go to Australia uh, a few years ago and did a, a conference on the prayer life of Christ, and it went well. The pastor actually invited me to come back to Australia, but who wants to go to Australia uh, these days? You might not be allowed back out. So um, instead, I think I'm going to the Philippines next year. So that's exciting. But um, we're going to be looking at Christ's prayer life this morning. And then when uh, I return uh, late July and then August, probably a few uh, one-off sermons, then we'll start a series in September. So that's the, the, that's the plan, and um, I trust this will be a blessing to you this morning. We, the verse, we will get to it as we preach. You don't need to turn there, but it is from Luke chapter 5, verse 16. But he, that is Christ, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we thank you for your word and ask that it may be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our pathway. Guide us, our great Jehovah, as we hear, as we listen, as we believe. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. When you think about uh, preachers and Christians who uh, have extraordinary falls, as we say, falls from grace, spectacular um, sins that uh, may be corruption or sexual or who knows what else. And you look at how this happened, a lot of the times people fall because of glory not suffering, because of praise and not persecution. In other words, a lot of the times we are most vulnerable, even as Christians, are when things are going very well, as opposed to when things are not going so well. It is true that things cannot go so well and people simply give up, as it were, but a lot of times it is when things are going well that we are off our guard. And one of the interesting things about the prayer life of Christ is that he understood this. Yes, he prayed when he was conscious of the suffering he would undergo and the suffering he was undergoing, but something unique about Christ's prayer life is this. He prayed when he was being praised. He sought God when people wanted to make him their king, when people were throwing themselves at him, as it were, when he was at the heights of glory from the praise of men, Christ knew that he had to pray. And so as we look at the prayer life of Christ, we find that he was someone who knew when to be alone and when to be in public. And you have to ask yourself this question what do you do when you find yourself alone? There are times we find ourselves alone, and it is simply because circumstances happen and we are alone. 
One of the most frightening things, I think, for a high school student is to find themselves alone on a Friday night. Uh, no friends, and they are home alone. A lot of my anxiety growing up was just that question on Friday. Uh, what would my friends and I be doing? And as you get older, as you, you know, turn uh, roughly 40 or 41, you yearn for those Friday nights alone. And they are a blessing and not a curse. But what about actually intentionally seeking to be alone? What value is there in that? Well, there's no value in and of itself in just simply being alone. But it is actually a step for a Christian to the right place where Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, chapter 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And you can look at the amount of times the word reward is used just in that chapter alone. It's quite striking. Why should you seek to be alone with God? Because God has made a promise to reward you. God. Now in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, the same idea comes up. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Now, don't jump ahead, those of you who know how the verse ends. Think about who is the type of person that goes to be alone with God? What type of person does that? What type of person leaves gadgets, leaves people, leaves work, leaves being able to do tangible things with their hands and goes to be alone with someone you cannot see? It is the person who actually has faith to believe that what they're doing is worthwhile and valuable when people in the world would laugh at that. To go and speak to someone you cannot see And without faith, it is impossible to please God. You need to have a great deal of faith to think that it is worth your time and efforts to go and be alone and pray to a God you cannot see. Now then the verse continues, for whoever would draw near to God, a way of speaking about communing with God, whoever would draw near to God must what? must believe that He exists. Coming back to the principle of what it means to live by faith. It is to believe that God exists. That He does listen. And not only does He listen, but He rewards. And so Hebrews 11.6 finishes that we who believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Do you believe that God exists and He rewards those who seek Him? Do you believe the words of Jesus? Do you believe these words? Jesus believed these words. He practiced what He preached. And so early in the morning, we are told, He would rise up to pray. Faithful Jews in the first century would begin their day with prayer. And so Mark tells us in chapter 1, verse 35, that Jesus rose very early in the morning while it was still dark, and he went to pray in a desolate place. He sought a desolate place, and he went to pray. He leaves Capernaum to pray 
alone. And when Mark records Jesus praying, for example, in chapter 1, verse 35, or chapter 6, verse 46, or even in Gethsemane, chapter 14, verse 32 to 39, he is always alone. And when you find him praying, he is praying because of either implicit or explicit opposition to his ministry. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are many times when Jesus seeks the Father because he is being persecuted, there is opposition, or the context is his suffering. But that's not the only time. But when you find him praying, after he prays, what usually happens is this. At least in Mark's gospel, there are are acts of compassion and mercy as a result of his prayers. But something else you find is that Jesus was not a hermit or a social butterfly, one or the other. He, on the one hand, knew when he should be alone, when he should be away from people. He knew when he should be with his father and only his father, but he was also a very social person, but not exclusively. In fact, you could do a study not only on the solitary life of Christ, but the public life of Christ, how he is always around people, how he is seeking people, how he's inviting himself over to people's homes for dinners, how he's around people for meals. But he always found time to be in private. Now, Luke's gospel actually affords us a lot of interesting insights into the prayer life of Christ, because the first example I believe we have is in Luke chapter 3, where Jesus is about to be baptized. And as people are being baptized, when Jesus had been baptized, we are told he was praying. He was praying and the heavens opened. And a lot of us, maybe we think, well, the Father speaks. You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. But there's a sense in which that was a response because heaven had been opened by Christ Himself who was praying. And He's praying to His Father. And what does His Father do? His Father responds for everybody to hear. You are my Son, whom I love. Now, as we continue in Luke's gospel, it's interesting. So if you have your Bibles, you can look at chapter 4, for example, moving from chapter 3 to chapter 4, and you get roughly to verse 42. Now, remember the context from verse 38 to 41. Jesus has healed many. Even the demons are saying, you are the Son of God because they knew he was the Christ. Now look at the context of verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. But what's the context? And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. What's the context? The context isn't suffering. It's praise. It's the people coming to him, the people wanting to be around him, knowing that he's healed many. They want him for themselves. They want him because of what he can offer them. And Jesus needs to be alone with God. Now, this also happens a chapter later. If you just go to chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus cleanses a leper. He tells the leper to go and show himself to the priest. But then verse 15, But now 
Even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Context, he is being praised. The crowds are coming after him. He's at his heights. Everybody loves him. But verse 16, what does he do? What does a politician do? Imagine. Crowds gathering, politicians smiling, waving, holding little babies. Picture opportunity. Life is good. 100,000 at the event. What does our Lord do? He retreats and goes to a desolate place and He prays. And you could go to another chapter to chapter 6, verse 12. In these days, after he has healed a man with a withered hand, he goes to the mountain to pray all night, and he continued in prayer to God. Before he is about to choose the twelve, he seeks God. This is a remarkable thing. And the context of Luke, which we read earlier, brings this out, the importance of prayer for Christ during the highs and the so-called lows of His ministry. Because in chapter 9, as you saw earlier, what do we read? Well, at the beginning in verse 18, you read that it happened as He was praying alone, the disciples were with Him. But then, verse 28 What does he do? Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter, John, James, and went up onto the mountain to pray. And if you look at the context of Luke chapter 9, especially the verses that were read earlier, what you find is that it's not just about his sufferings, such as verse 22, but also about his glories. It's the Mount of Transfiguration. It's the glory that would be His. So Christ is praying in the context of speaking about His sufferings, but also of His glories. And what did we find earlier on? That Christ is praying and He says, who do people say is the Christ? And Peter, as we saw in Matthew chapter 16, makes that great confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, that might cause somebody to become puffed up with pride. I am the Messiah. I am God's Son. I am the hope of Israel. But as soon as Jesus hears those words from Peter's lips, he doesn't understand them as Peter would understand them. He understands them as God would have him understand them because he's a man of prayer. And he understands as soon as Peter recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah, Christ knows that it's the Messiah on God's terms, not on Peter's terms. And God's terms are verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. What enables him to say those words and not fall into a pit of despair so that he's incapacitated to do any further ministry? He had been praying. And what will he continue to do So that he follows through with those words, he will pray, and he will pray, and he will pray. And this 
is not something that I think we can ever fully understand. Now, I want you to also understand that Jesus, because He told us that you would be rewarded if you sought God, He also understood this of Himself. So, when you get to one of His final prayers, John 17, you find something quite remarkable. The prayer is littered with rewards, with promises. That Jesus understands that He must suffer, and it's in that prayer, but He also understands that God is going to reward Him. So even in verse 5, And now, Father, glorify Me in Your own presence with the glory that I had with You before the world existed. God rewards those who seek Him. Jesus prayed, knowing that He would suffer. He embraced God's will for His life. But not only does He embrace God's will, He embraces God's promises. Now what can we say by way of a few points of application? The first is this. That sometimes you're going to need to be alone with God. And what I find among many Christians, indeed even my own self, is this. That we are thrust to our knees by God when suffering comes. That's natural. You read the Psalms. And I'm not saying that is wrong. That's a way God gets us to our knees. He brings about darkness. He brings about suffering. He brings about questions we can't answer. And we fall down. But you see, the life of Christ is not quite being thrust to His knees because of suffering. Gethsemane is that. The life of Christ in terms of his prayer life is one whereby in his glories, in his so-called exaltations, in the moments where things are easy, he is wise enough to know that he should be on his knees. He is wise enough to know that he needs to remember God's will for his life and not others' will for his life. Remember John 6? He feeds the 5,000. What do they do? They respond, come, we want to make you our king. The point is this. You are not in a dangerous place necessarily when things are not going well. It's when things are going well that you are in a dangerous place. And that is when you need to be close to God. And that's when it's the hardest time. It's you need God most when you think you need Him least. Jesus knew that. And that is why He prayed alone when everything allegedly was going well because of the temptation to embrace that life. What did Satan offer Him? You can have all the kingdoms if you will just bow down to Me. Take the easy route. It will all be yours. But it would not be God's will. The second point is that public sins usually arise out of private failures. Public sins usually arise out of private failures. You see somebody fall in a spectacular way. You see a pastor who you've admired for many years, his preaching, so on. And everyone seems to love him and he does well and his church grows. Or you see a Christian who's allegedly been thriving in so many ways and then they spectacularly fail and you say, how could this happen? And indeed, these issues are complex. But in another sense, they're quite simple. 
How many of these people really were seeking God amidst all of the praise, amidst all of the ease? How many of them really were saying, God, have mercy upon me, protect me, lead me not into temptation? John Owen said, he who would be little in temptation, let him be much in prayer. Jesus resisted the temptation to ease, the temptation to human glory, the temptation to do things his own way because he was so often seeking God's will in private. I had a wonderful week, if you must know. I got to go on two dates with my wife this week. Now I know some of you are thinking, come on, pastor, you've got to work for the church, pay you good money. Two dates, what is this? Okay, can I have two dates once in a while? So, I think it was Thursday. Yes, we'll call it Thursday. Somehow the kids disappeared. Where they went, with whom they were, I don't know. And Darren and Brian lived below, and they didn't come up and join us. That was great, which they usually don't, but, you know, one never can be so sure. So I said to Barb, let's watch Top Gun 1. So we sit at home and we watch Top Gun 1. Oh my goodness, what a movie. The soundtrack alone. Oh, what a romantic evening watching Top Gun 1. I didn't like the beach scene because those guys are in better shape than I am. But otherwise, it was good. So we watched Top Gun 1. And whether or not I was listening to the soundtrack on the way in this morning to church is irrelevant. So then yesterday actually, I... Uh, got home and I hear Barb speaking to the boys. They want to go see Despicable Me or some movie that was on at the movie theater. And I said to Barb, we should go watch Maverick. Now, being the woman that she is, she had already bought the tickets for Maverick. So I was tickled pink because we were going to see Maverick. And we watched the movie and it was a fantastic movie, a family movie, Wonderful movie. Can't speak highly enough about it. But there was one scene in there that really struck me. And the scene was when Tom Cruise goes to speak to Iceman, Val Kilmer. And what struck me about it was that Val Kilmer in real life had throat cancer and so he's unable to speak. In the movie, he's texting so that it comes up so they can have a conversation. And the point is, is that Val Kilmer, in a sense, wasn't acting. He wasn't pretending. I mean, we know in movies everybody's acting, but Val Kilmer couldn't speak. In fact, the voice they give to him at the end isn't actually his voice. It's his son's voice, I'm told, that's been digitalized so that you can get some words out of him. But he can't speak, and so he has to text. And it really brought that scene to life because you knew that the actual man in that scene couldn't speak. Now, what's my point? Christ's prayer life wasn't a mere example for us so that we should be like, oh, this is what the ideal person should do. He wasn't just going and putting on a show. He wasn't acting. He had to pray. He had to go to God. He had to know what God's will was for him. He had to ask for help from God. He had to embrace God's promises. And he had to seek God and say, please protect me, preserve me, enable me to go through with this. In other words, he had to pray more than anyone else who has ever lived. 
And you might think it's the opposite. You might think, well, if anyone didn't need to pray, it's the sinless Son of God filled with the Spirit. But in fact, the opposite was the case. To go through what he needed to go through, to resist all the temptations to the glory that people were so willingly prepared to offer him, but also to go through the sufferings that God had in store for him, He had to be in communion with God to know that God was with him no matter who else wasn't. And he had to pray. There was no acting. There was no pretending. Here was a man brought to the end of himself. And what he did at the end of his life, whether in Gethsemane or whether on the cross, was the reflection of a man who had been praying his entire life. Life. In other words, why was he so successful at the end? Because he had been so consistent from the beginning. How will you get to the end when you can say, Lord willing, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit? It will be the result of someone who has gone in private to Father, gone in private in the spirit, and said, Lord, be merciful to me. A sinner. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the prayer life of Christ, which was his obedience and which is our salvation. We pray that we may know the importance of seeking you privately so that publicly we may not bring disgrace to your name. Please preserve us not only in times of trials, but especially in the heights of what this world can offer us. Protect us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.